We're going to start a series uh, in the last three Sundays here as we conclude this year in a study about love. And you have to begin by asking, what is love? It is a question that has been asked for centuries. Uh, People have written volumes of books trying to explain love. Uh, I did the foolish thing of going on Google and asking what is love, and the results are startling. Uh, One answer was, what is love? It is an intangible connection between two people that feels exceptionally good. All right. (laughs) That's an intangible answer to the question of What is love? Psychology Today gave its definition of love. It said love is a force of nature. However much we may want to, we cannot command, demand, or take away love any more than we can command the moon and the stars and the wind and the rain to come and go according to our whims. So love is something you have absolutely no say over or command over or will over at all. Psychology today. That's an interesting definition considering the passage that was just read for us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 begins with the command to love one another. Interesting that God says, well, I think we can command that, actually. That is not something that is outside of your will, outside of your possibility, or outside of your realm altogether. And I think that what we see is that there's a tremendous confusion about love because all of these different authorities define love in a different way. Just go home and Google it. I mean, everybody's got a definition. Every magazine, every authority, everybody says... Here's what love is. Here's here's what it means. And I would submit for our final three Sundays here together for this year that we actually go to the source and ask God what the definition of love is. Let's see what God says about love. And so that's what we're going to spend our time with. You'll notice in verse 7 of 1 John 4, it says, Beloved, let us love one another For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I want you to notice that he says we need to love one another. We are commanded to love one another. And to recognize in that 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 means loving one another is not an option. It's not a choice by which I say, well, I just don't know if I want to love this person or not. And so that person I will love and that person I will not. And we don't get that option. We don't get that choice. Here he was telling us, beloved, I want you to love one another. It's not something that we can decide if we are going to do this or not. And he gives a number of reasons why this is the case. And he just begins by making a statement The reason why is because love is from God. Now, this is profound in a lot of what we're going to talk about today in the concept that the true source of love is from God himself. And I think that's why so many people try to define love in really such a variety of ways is because they lack the understanding that God is the source of love. If we're going to understand what love is, 
that we need to go to God for understanding. He is the source of love. Love is from God. And often we are looking to other sources to define love and explain love to us. And God says, I want you to love one another because love is from God. It comes from Him. It resonates from Him. He is the source of this. And so therefore we must look to Him if we're going to understand it. Which I think in and of itself tells us something that we will speak to a few times this morning. And ultimately one of the things that we have to consider then is that love then is not natural or innate. And what I mean by that is the love by which the way God defines it is not something that you just do by normal, everyday living. It's not something that is a natural force that you just have no problem doing, by which you don't even have to think about it, you just do it. It's something completely different in the way that God pictures what love looks like and what love is to mean for us. And that's what he does here in verse 7 when he says something that I think is is really quite staggering. When he says in verse 7, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Love one another because when you love one another... This reveals, this is the fruit that you know God and that you've been born of God. You have experienced God and you have the knowledge of God and you comprehend who He is and you have been changed by Him such that you are born of God. And He says, that's how you... Know you're loving others. You love others that only will come by knowing God. And by knowing God, then that's how you love others. This is the equation that that He gives for us. And what is, I think, challenging in the command that He gives us is that He doesn't tell us, I want you to love others if you like them, if they're lovable, if they love you first. If they're good to you or any other kind of litmus test that we will often use as the basis by which we will show other people love. You'll notice he just says, if you know God and you've been born of God, you're going to love others. That's just the result. That's just what's going to happen. So friends, he says, beloved, love one another because by knowing God and by being born of God, you will love others. It's not a question of, well, who do I love? If you know God, you will love others. That's the whole humor of sorts when Jesus has to tell the parable about the Good Samaritan that we know very well. And this problem of loving your neighbor and wanting to justify himself. Well, who is my neighbor? And you remember how he pulls all that together is basically you love everybody. Everybody is your neighbor. You are to be the neighbor to them. You're the one that does good to them. You love others because you know God. And in a picture then of being what God has called us to be as a community of God's people, to be the family of God, to be the body of Christ, 
It is impossible for us then to love as God has called us to love if we do not truly know God and have not truly been born of God. We have to understand that God is the source and that by understanding that God is the source, then he's going to define love for us and explain what love means. Which makes then verse 8 very jarring if you slow down and think about what he says there. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. John just said, if you don't love others, you don't know God. Now, that's startling because what he's telling us then is that if our lives are not characterized by loving other people... You can claim to be a Christian. You can claim to know God. You can claim to be in relationship with Him, but you're not. You're not a Christian. You don't know God. You don't have a relationship with Him if you don't love others. Verse 7 was jarring enough when he he said, whoever loves has been born of God, but then he goes ahead and flips it the other way and says, so therefore, if you don't love others, you don't know God. That should resonate so powerfully to us in what he's trying to tell us. Is that if we do not love, then we do not know God. That means we have not been changed by God. And I know that we would want to argue with God on that and say, No, I do love God and I do know God and I just don't like loving other people. But that's okay, right? We want to redefine that and go, It's okay to not love other people but still love God. And I want you to hear what he's saying here. That's not possible. It is not possible to love God, to know God, to be born of God, to be in relationship with God, and not love others. You say, well, why not? He says, because God's love. Because love is the very definition of who God is. Because it's the very character of Him. To begin to get an idea of what love means, we are looking to God and the seriousness of the command should jump off the page when it tells us, if I'm not loving other people, then there is something wrong with my relationship with God. I do not know God. I do not love God. And I have not been born of God. I have not experienced that transformation. And so that tells us something important about how God then is defining love for us. God is the one who gets to define love since he is the source of love. And because he is love, he then defines what love is. I think it is pretty fascinating the way that he pictures that for us because we want to define love and then impose that upon God and impose that upon other people. Here's what love is. And that's what we'll do. Well, I love God because I'm not a really bad person. And we'll define love in a variety of ways. We don't want to define love the way God defines love. We want to come along and say, here's what love is. It is, I'll try to remember that first definition, this intangible connection between two people that feels really good. There you go. All right, so there's love. So I love you because I've got this intangible connection that feels really good. Uh, great. You know, it's very easy to love the world and love other people if all I need to do is have some kind of intangible connection by which I kind of feel good about you. 
I'm doing great. Loving everybody. Yeah, right. God has to define love. We don't get to define it. We can make love very easy to accomplish if we are the ones who define it. And I think it is important and pretty interesting when it says, it doesn't say that love is God. But God is love. He defines it. He is the source of it. We must look to Him to understand it. And the reason why that is important is, I think, because so many of our definitions of love are sinful definitions that we often apply to relationships. What we want to do is take the concept of love and then apply it to something that God has condemned, some kind of action, some kind of activity, and say, no, no, that's love. And God goes, no, that can't be, because I am the one who defines love. And the essence of that, I think, is very powerful because everything about sin is self-centered and self-focused. Sin is the opposite of love. Sin is doing what I want to do. Sin is doing what seems right to me. Sin is following my desires. Sin is listening to myself. It's the opposite of love. And so what you have is the problem that's put before us is we want to... Be self-centered, be self-focused, do what we want to do, do what feels good to us, and yet still at the same time say, the way that I am dealing with God and with others is still love. And it doesn't work like that. Love is an entirely different picture, an entirely different image altogether. Love is not sin, and sin is the opposite of love And love and sin cannot go together because God is love. If God is love, then that changes everything about the definition of what love looks like. Love can't be self-centered. Love can't be self-focused. Love can't be in it for all that we would want for for ourselves in some kind of selfish pursuit. Because that's sin. And God is love. I want us to consider really the essence of the problem of loving others. We're trying to do what God has said here in loving others. What makes that so difficult? Why is it such the challenge to love others? Why isn't that natural? Why isn't that innate? Why isn't that just something so easy to do? Why is it that it is such a difficulty to love your family, to love people in Christ, to love people on the job, to love people on the streets? Why is that so hard? What makes that so difficult? And I submit to you the problem is that we love ourselves, and that's ultimately the problem. The problem is that we love ourselves and I want to call the things that I am doing love. Everything that I do towards you, that's just love. (laughs) I want it to be looking like that. I don't want to hear what God says about what love looks like toward other people. I just want to be able to say what I'm doing towards you is love and make my life easy. And so ultimately the problem then comes down to us. And I think there's a number of ways 
that we can prove that we are far too occupied with ourselves and far too occupied with loving ourselves, far too self-focused, far too selfish, that the deepest problem is ultimately ourselves and in us in trying to truly love others like God is describing. Here's just a picture of that. How many times have we been angry just because somebody else was in our way? They were just in the way. Wasn't anything malicious? They're just in the way. What's the problem? Self-focus. Self-centeredness. I'm concerned about me. And the reason I'm angry is because you're not concerned about me. Get out of my way. (laughs) And we can do far worse than that of all kinds of things that we do in our relationships. And you can boil it down to something very simple. We get angry at people who aren't even doing anything against us and yet we're mad at them. Why? Why? Because they're not doing something that we think they should be doing. Because they're not doing what we want them to do. How much of our anger stems from our expectations of what we think people should do? It's selfish. It's self-focused. It's self-centered. I'm angry because this is what you should do. Here's my sense of what everybody should be doing. When I drive down the road, it should be like the Red Sea parting in front of Moses. And everybody gets to the side and all the lights of Okeechobee turn green. And I can go 50 from end to end and it will be great. Why am I upset? What's the problem? This is what we think. It's self-focused. It's self-centered. We get angry because of our expectations of what we think other people should do for us. Our deepest problem then comes from inside of us. How often in your marriage have you had anger because you were thinking about yourself? How many marriages go through fights and disputes and difficulties because you were just thinking about yourself? Self-focused, self-willed, self-centered, self-desire, thinking about me. How many conflicts happen in the church because we are thinking about ourselves and not loving the other person? Troubles with spouse because we are not loving our spouse, but we are loving ourselves. How many strange relationships happen because... Among our friends, our relatives, our parents, our children, we are loving ourselves and not loving them. How many problems will we have this holiday season and how much anger and how much conflict will happen over the holidays with family? Because we're thinking about ourselves and not loving them. Maybe we should consider the word that God gave to Jonah when Jonah sat there in his anger and God's message to Jonah was simply a question, do you do well to be angry? (laughs) Boy, 
And you're sitting there just stewing in your anger. And to hear words like, are you really accomplishing something there? Is this really a good idea? Are you doing well to be angry? Remember what James said when he said that the anger of humans, man's anger, does not produce the righteousness of God. I want us to consider that ultimately loving ourselves is disastrous. By loving ourselves, we are harming other people. And this is the radical transformation of what is happening here when John says, here's my command to you. I want you to love others. And the reason that that's why that's not innate, it's not natural, it's not easy, is because I am wired to love myself and to think about myself and only do good by me. But that is the basis for conflicts and strife and anger and fighting and division and all kinds of problems. In fact, I would point out to you that the more that I love myself, the, more, the less I will love others. The more I love myself, the more I think about myself. The more I think I'm right. The more I think you're useless. The more you should get out of my way. Because I, I love myself. It is fascinating what our society has done about the concept of love. Because the concept of love in our society is you can't love others unless you love yourself first. Right? You've heard that? Uh, I mean, a long time people you can't love others until you love yourself first. And God's coming along and saying, you can't love others until you stop loving yourself so much. Because you're putting yourself in front of everybody. The reason for anger and the reason why you don't love others the way God has called you to love is because all you're doing is thinking about yourself. How it affects you. Not them. And so what John's calling for is, is truly a radical heart transformation. And the only way this kind of transformation can happen where we will truly love others is by what he tells us in verse 7, is that you have to know God. The only way that this will happen, that we will become what God has called us to be in loving other people, and not being self-centered and being self-focused and following our own will and putting ourselves first in anger just for no reason, but they were there in the way, is that we have to get to know God better. And so to have the capacity to love others requires us to know God more. We must know Him more. We must know Him more. We must know Him more. The only way to develop this kind of love that He is describing here where we will truly love others is that we must love Him more. And what we cannot do is then tell God, well, this is what love is. No, we can't tell Him the way love looks like. He shows us what love looks like. And that's the thing that I think is, makes verse 9 so powerful is, well, then how can I know if I know God? How can I know if I love others? How can I know what this looks like? Okay, I know that if I love others, I am then, lo- then I know God. But notice how he frames this in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Here is the love of God on display. And the change that God needs us to have in our hearts 
to love others as God has called us to is that we focus on the love of God that was revealed to us. Notice he says, God's love was revealed to us in this way. In this love is on display. God sent his son into the world. And friends, that really does change everything. God's love explains the cross and explains redemption. If God is wrath, then things go quite differently for us. If God is anger and wrath, if that's his character, his standing disposition, then how well does it go for us when we sin? It would be a disaster. Or if God was simply justice, God is just. He is always just on every single turn of every single thing. Then things go very badly for us and for the world because if God operates on the basis of law and justice, then we are convicted by our sin and we are justly judged to an eternity in hell. The very nature of God and the very character and disposition of God is amazing because God's love is the remedy. Here we are, we have violated God's law. We have not loved. We are selfish creatures. We are self-centered, self-focused, self-driven, self-consumed. And God's remedy to that is to display a love that is absolutely astounding and unquantifiable. It is a shocking thing that God does. He says, well, here's what I will show you. I won't just talk about love and I won't just say love others. That's easy to do. Just stand up here and tell everybody, love others. All right, go. He says, let me show you what that looks like. I showed you love. I sent Jesus to you. I sent my one and only son so that you might live through him. This is how we know that God loves us. Is that we are able to look at the cross. We know that God cares, that God loves. Because not only is it his character. And not only does he say that he is love. But he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the cross. I want you to see that I sent my son into the world. And that's to prove to you that that I love you. This is the ultimate definition of love. This is the ultimate display of love. God sending His Son. And friends, the ultimate display of love is sacrifice. This is why loving self is incompatible with loving others. Because true love sacrifices. Love gives of self. Love is not self-motivated, self-seeking, self-serving, or self-even preserving. In Christ you see the forfeiting of all self and sacrifice to give. Not self-driven, not self-focused is what we see in Christ. It is the most staggering display of love that could ever been shown. And this is why John uses this in verse 9. Friends, I want you to love others. And to even begin to get a concept of love, I want you to look at Christ. 
Because His loss is our victory. His loss is our gain. Everything that He does is for our benefit. This is what love looks like. Love looks to the other person and says, What can I do for you? I'm not going to think about self. Not what are you going to do for me? That's self-love. That's easy, default. Everybody think about me. Everybody get out of my way. Everybody do what I want. Everybody make my life easy. Everybody do what I think is best. That's self-love. That's sin. You realize God defines that as sin? That is sin. Love does not think about self, but thinks about others. And thus, as he puts it at the end of verse 9, is how we have a new life through him. It changes how we live by looking at what Jesus does and looking at how this love is pictured for us. That changes how we live. It changes how we treat people. We look to Jesus so that we can change this struggle that you and I have of loving others so that we can truly and genuinely love one another. You say, there are some people that are so unlovable, Brent. (laughs) You have no idea the people in my life. All right, I got you. How lovable were we to God at the moment of the cross? How warm and fuzzy and good were we at that moment? You see, at any time where we come along and say, well, this person I don't have to love because God trumps that and goes, yeah, but look at you. Look what I did to you. Look at how I showed you love. You were undeserving. You were not lovable. You did nothing worthy of that. And yet God still displayed love. And what he's going to talk about in this chapter is there's not even a reciprocation. That's what we want. I'll love you if you love me. You do good, I do good. You be nice, I be nice. You hug me, I hug you. You punch me, I'm taking you out. I mean, that's how we want to operate. And you see at the cross, people are mocking Jesus. People are spitting on Jesus. People are saying he's a nobody. If you really are the son of God, come down off the cross. If you really are who you say you are, let's see you do something. And he gives himself. We've talked about many times. Our response on the cross would be vindication, retribution. You say, show yourself to be the son of God. I would have been, you know, nails flying out of hands. Ta-da! You know, it's over for you. I'll show you. Zap. This is what it means to love others. This is the concept of sacrifice. This is what John's going to talk about, of what it means that, beloved, love one another. Love is not a function of what other people do for you. Love is not a function of how they treated me or how they act or whatever is going on. And love is most certainly not a function of self. Self-expectation. So this is what you should be doing for me. And we just mentioned 
Right, that's where our anger gets involved. Anger is these expectations of what everybody else should be doing. My spouse should do this. My kids should do this. My parents should, should do this. My work should be like this. And people on the road should be like this. And the people in the church should be like this. And if everybody doesn't do exactly what I think they ought to be doing, then I am justified to not love. In fact, I'm justified to anger. John would say it in the gospel. So he records the words of Jesus. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now hear this. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Just as I have loved you, I want you to love others. And then he takes it one step further and says... By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This is what will set you apart. This is how the world will know. The way you treat each other, the way you treat in marriage, the way you treat in family, relatives, work, road. By this, you'll know you're my disciples. Anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. I look forward to the next couple of weeks where he's going to dig in further about how we can make changes in our lives to be what God has called us to be. Brothers and sisters, let us love one another and let us love for God is love. We're going to sing a song and we invite you to come to Jesus and we invite you to turn away from your sins. I hope you'll reflect upon, at least I'll put it for me, in prepping for this sermon series, I have reflected deeply upon how easy it is to be self-centered in thinking. How nearly... 99% of anger is selfish driven. What I think people should do, how they do not cater to me. And that is not a display of what God showed us, and it is not a reflection of God to the world. Let us change our ways to love others as God in Christ has loved us. Are you ready to come to Jesus and to receive the immense display of God's love who sent his son to die for you so that you would not have to experience justice or experience wrath? You would not have to experience the just punishment for your sins. Rather, redemption, freedom from sin, to become a child of God, citizens in his kingdom, enjoying all the blessings of belonging to him. Are you ready to join with him? Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?